Well, hello there, and welcome back into the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. I am the somewhat competent host, TJ Reeves. We are off of Memorial Day uh, weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Memorial Day coming on Monday. Uh, I welcome in our insider, our content partner, BigFightWeekend.com. Love this man's uh, insight on all. And we were on the money with a lot of the predictions coming out of that Gervonta Davis uh, Roly Romero pay-per-view fight card, Dan Rayfield. Good to be back with you and recap everything that went on in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. How are things? Things are good. I'm going to enjoy the weekend, uh, the rest of the weekend anyway. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, an interesting fight. It maybe wasn't the slam-bang action affair that some people thought because Roly did not go right at him like he predicted he would. But it was, as I described it in the piece I wrote, uh, even with a lack of action and not a lot of punches, extremely highly tension filled because everybody was just sort of waiting to see which of these guys is going to land the first big shot, which you knew was going to happen at some point over the course of 12 rounds. It, it was Gervonta Davis and that was the one big shot and he scored the knockout and it right. was, uh, but it made it interesting and uh, entertaining in my mind. We will go into that fight. Also the era's Landy Laura win. <clears throat> In the co-feature before that, all of that forthcoming. Reminder here, we're on the recap podcast here on Memorial Day weekend. Usually out late Sunday or on Monday morning. We came out a little earlier on Sunday night because of the holiday. Uh, again, do us a favor and follow or subscribe, and you get this podcast automatically whenever it's out. You don't have to have a social media link. You don't have to have it through the Big Fight Weekend website or Dan's Substack, the Fight Freaks Unite Substack. You don't have to have any kind of link or notification. You'll get it automatically uh, if you are there. Uh, by the way, make sure that if you are following or subscribing, give us a review. That will help. And there are a lot of people that are now following and subscribing. We're seeing that in the audience numbers. It will help more people see it if you review us in Apple Podcast. Again, take 90 seconds. Go there. Give us a five-star review. More boxing fans are seeing it. More reviews will help more fans see it. Uh, if you do that. And one other thing too, with a, with a father and Dan, I don't know about your family and military background, but my father was in uh, the military uh, and served my grandfather, my, um, my mother's father, also in the Navy. My father was in the army. Um, obviously my father's still living Memorial day about those that have given the ultimate sacrifice. And Dan and I didn't rehearse this. He doesn't know this. Uh, my family, my wife and I and my kids were out having lunch Saturday afternoon and we went to a barbecue place and I didn't know anything about this, a barbecue place in Tampa when we were talking about hot dogs on the preview show <laughs> on the weekend. So we went to have some barbecue. The barbecue place has been in existence for 10 years and it is mainly in the Northeast where you are in New York, Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, a little bit down the Carolinas, North Carolina, South Carolina. It is also a little bit... Uh, in some other southern states, and then there's about 15 of them in Florida. I did not know about this barbecue place. It's called Mission Barbecue. They should sponsor the show after I do all this. But there's a point coming here. We come in and we go to order, and the whole place said, hang on, we're stopping here at noon, and they dinged a chime, they dinged a bell, and did the national anthem in the restaurant. It's military-themed, and it's fallen servicemen-themed in the restaurant. It is very moving to be in there, when we did that, like the anthem at a ball game. And then we sit down Dan Rayfield next to a table, which in every one of their restaurants, they reserve a table for the fallen soldiers that we've lost that is specially decorated with a remembrance photo that they switch out the whole thing. It is just for Memorial day. It was almost 
uh, like divine intervention that we were there for Memorial Day. It was a very neat thing to get to talk to my kids about that. So again, for Memorial Day, it's not a day of mourning, but it is a day of remembrance because there have been a lot of servicemen and women that have lost their lives. One of my twins, Dan, I know I'm going on and on, is standing and looking at the fallen heroes wall they have. And, and she's immediately looking at a couple of females, a young female pilot who lost her life in Iraq, a young female service woman with the full um, uh, military armor on and the gun that lost her life in Afghanistan. And I'm saying they I'm saying to my daughter, they gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. My my global point here is that we shouldn't be in mourning, but we should be remembering this. And I got a slap in the face figuratively being in the barbecue joint on Saturday on what Memorial Day is about. We had some exciting action in the boxing ring. Now we're to Memorial Day. There's my feelings. Anything you want to add to any of that, feel free. Well, first of all, we do have Mission Barbecue here in the uh, Northern Virginia region. It's excellent. If you like barbecue, they should give us a sponsorship. Number two, uh, my father-in-law and my uh, uh, late mother-in-law uh, are both military veterans. Beautiful. Both served in the United States Army, which is where they met uh, when they were service members. And... Um, Living in the Northern Virginia area, I live probably only maybe 20, 25 minutes from Arlington National Cemetery, mm. which I've been to uh, several occasions. And, uh, you know, that is a place where family members come and make pilgrimages uh, on a daily basis throughout the year, not just on Memorial Day, to, to visit, whether it's their only family, whether it's their family members or, or just to pay uh, tribute. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a popular and, and uh, you know, place where people go, tourists, of course. But it's uh, it's a very if you've never been there, I mean, I, again, I've been there a few times, uh, having lived here for over 20 years. Uh, you can't help but but uh, understand exactly what you're talking about when you walk through uh, those hallowed grounds. I have been there, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, the whole thing. I look forward to taking my children there. At some point, we'll get there and we'll see that. And again, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun talking boxing on this podcast. We've got sports going on. There's a great time for families to get together, <clears throat> fellowship, go go do things outside the water, the beach, the, the, the whatever, go have fun. But we should be mindful of all of this. So with the public service announcement uh, out of the way, about what we're up to with uh, Memorial Day. Let's get into the fights. Let's get into the main event, uh, which was Gervonta Davis scoring a sixth-round TKO officially over Roley Romero. All right, I've got some thoughts, but I want you first. I always defer to you. You kind of touched on it, that it was not the fireworks that both of us kind of expected early. We were just in anticipation, if that's the right word, to somebody land the big one. Davis landed the big one. Oh, he did sure did land the big one. Uh, I thought that it was a very mature, controlled, uh, intelligent performance by Gervonta Davis. He understood, I believe, uh, or his team imparted on him, uh, Calvin Ford, his trainer, and, and his people, that, that, that Roley Romero is a, a legitimate guy. He may not have a ton of experience. He may not have a, a great track record in terms of the resume he has compiled, but he's a dangerous fighter. Uh, he wanted that win, and you better be wary because that kid can crack. And if you take a look at the statistics and – you know, and I've said this a million times, I don't live and die by CompuBox statistics, right. but I have, I have huge respect for what they do and the statistical analysis they put together, uh, particularly as it, as it relates to when you track the overall career trajectory and how these different fighters perform, those averages mean something. And you can really draw a lot when you look at not just one particular bout, but over the course of a number of bouts, the trends that these guys set. Gervonta Davis has had fights tracked by CompuBox for many years. Many of his fights tracked by CompuBox. So when they tell you that here's a fighter that averages like 36.6 punches thrown per round, and 
in the fight against uh, Roly Romero, he's barely averaging 14 punches thrown per round. Yeah. That means something. He is taking a much more controlled viewpoint of that opponent on what he has to do and was sort of waiting, biding his time, picking his shots and uh, uh, finding, you know, a home for that big left hand that he finally did for the knockout blow. Uh, so again, neither one of the fighters was throwing a tremendous amount of punches. Obviously Romero doesn't have the kind of uh, number of a number of bouts that they have tracked. So it's hard to read a lot into his statistical profile, but I thought that was really interesting to see Davis is a much more active fighter, uh, in other fights compared to what he was against Romero. I believe that was by design. thought that was a very intelligent way that he went about it. Uh, you know, take your time, see what you have, wait for him maybe to make a mistake, which ultimately he did. I thought it might come a little bit earlier than it did, but listen, it doesn't matter. I mean, the, Duke, the two guys barely landed much of anything the entire fight, like in the twenties for a six round fight is pathetic, but you know, in the end, it doesn't matter because all you needed from Tank Davis was to land the one shot, literally the one shot, that, that did the damage and uh, scored the knockout. So, you know, he could have scored a thousand punches. If you don't get a knockout and you lose big deal. If you score, if you land 25 punches in a fight and you land one that knocks the guy out, good for you. That's exactly what tank Davis did. Um, he knew what he had in front of him and he approached it in the way that he knew he had to, in order to get the win. That's what he did. And it was obviously, you know, a spectacular uh, punch and uh, you know, Romero was very awkward the way he went down face first into the ropes, slither down the, ropes with his back land on his rear end get up some people took issue with the stoppage let's by get into that let's get into that in yeah. a second all right so i want to go back to one thing that you said before which was you believe this was part of the strategy from gervonta davis i believe you're correct uh what do i know i think he was sitting back waiting for the mistake he was he was looking at it as why do i need to risk opening opening myself up getting myself hit being careless I'll wait for him to make the mistake. Even if I got to get him into the middle rounds or the later rounds, he will make a mistake and I'll make him pay. I believe that is the case. Do you believe, because Romero did not do what he had been hinting, and, and it's not the first time that a fighter would put out there what his strategy might be, bravado, and then doesn't do it. I think that Romero was genuinely concerned, okay, I'm now actually in here and he could right. lay me out. I think that's my theory on the first couple of rounds being so slow and so boring is that he realized for all the bravado, I'm not going to go right at him. And he didn't fight that way. What's your thought on that, Dan? I mean, you're right. He did not at all. I mean, when a guy talks that much shit, yeah. you better do something to try to back it up. I mean, yeah. he didn't just make the prediction and then just not do it. That happens all the time. It's that he said it over and over and over and over. And it's like, okay, now you just showed you're completely full of it. Now, maybe we as fans or as reporters, we in the at least in the back of my mind, like I never believe when a fighter gives the prediction or says what he's going to do or, you know, gives away the game plan because they never do that. But maybe I was lulled into a false sense of security, if you will, <laughs> because Tyson Fury, the heavyweight champion of the world, did that exact thing. He said what he was going to do in the rematch against Deontay Wilder. He was going to go right at him because he 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 got a draw in the fight where he did a great job boxing against him and he didn't get his hand raised. So he figured I have to change up and he told everybody I'm going right to this man and I'm going to slug it out with him. And we all looked around and listened on the conference call or saw him at the press conference. We're like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. You're lying. And he went out there and he did it. And then he came back and he did the exact same thing in the third fight. So uh, the honesty of what Tyson Fury said about his uh, strategy leading into the rematch and to the third fight against Deontay Wilder. Maybe I took that to heart and thought maybe Raleigh Romero is telling the truth. Uh, but in retrospect, I shouldn't have, he didn't do that. Not even close, but 
when you talk that much, man, you better do something to try to back it up. And he just didn't, you know, he, uh, he didn't fight a bad fight. He showed that he's a, as a good fighter. It was a competitive fight that some people had really slightly ahead going into the knockout round. Did you uh, through, uh, did through not. five rounds? What did you have? No, I had, I had Javante up in the fight, but it was like, it was a competitive fight. It was, you know, it was nip and tuck all the way. Um, and part of the reason was because like you mentioned, not a lot happened. Those first probably two, three rounds, you know, one punch here or there makes a difference in how you score it. And so in the end, after the knockout, you look back at what the scorecards were, you see that it was uh, at that moment, a split decision. Two judges had it close for uh, Gervonta Davis and one judge had it similar score for uh, Rolly Romero. Um, but the best thing about it is this, the fans got a big knockout, which is what people go to see boxing matches for. You know, I'm all good with a good quality boxing match, but I love knockouts. No controversy. I don't care if you think that Roley was up at the time of the knockout or you care Davis was up. It doesn't matter. All that matters is the guy who got the knockout, got the knockout and won the fight. And there was no controversy. Roley did not complain about the stoppage. You know, he could, you know, he was all messed up. Even when he was shown on Showtime broadcast, walking out of the ring, he didn't do an in-ring interview with Jim Gray. Uh, he, he did come to the post-fight press conference. But he did not do a post-fight uh, in-ring interview. He walked out of the ring, and when they showed him, he was still. This is like a you know a couple of minute, a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes later, he was still not all good with his way he was able to walk. So uh, clearly, the stoppage was quality on the behalf of uh, referee David Fields, who's a great referee. Fields pointed and said, "Move over here," and he didn't respond. He's right in his face, telling him to do that, and he didn't respond. So that's sign number one. Well, he and, responded, but it wasn't at the time where he needed him to do right, it. But he didn't was, move. He said, yeah. "Move over here," and he didn't move. And then he stuck his gloves up, sort of. And then it was like his legs were all over. And I mean, what and a, what we know too is the referee can look right there in the eyes. As much as we're on TV, the referee can look right at him and if he's and if he sees as i like to say slot machines sometimes or whatever then he knows this guy's going to take a vicious shot and i'm not so bloodthirsty that i got to see him take a vicious shot no, david fields in my opinion is one of the top elite referees in all of boxing i'd put him in that you know top upper echelon top handful top five you know certainly top 10 uh david fields has handled a lot of big fights he was the referee just as one example he did a great job handling uh, the heavyweight championship fight in 2017, which was the fight of the year uh, at Wembley Stadium between Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko. He's been a a, um, a staple of the fights in New York City, which is where he does most of his events. Uh, he's a terrific referee. And, uh, you know, in, in the lead up to the second fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, I actually had a long interview with David Fields for a piece I wrote uh, about um, about uh, about the fights and about the, the Klitschko fight and uh, Joshua and all that. And, um, you know, he, he, he explained a lot of his refereeing philosophy. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, he's experienced. He really knows what he's doing. And I have zero quarrel with that stoppage. I mean, Roley, listen, the, the key to that stoppage is <laughs> Romero didn't complain. Usually if a guy's really, right. you know, really ticked off about the stoppage, you know, you'll see him make a face or, you know, he'll, he'll shake his hands or shake his head or, you know, even sometimes, you know, grab the referee by the arms. What are you doing? <clears throat> but, uh, there was no real response for, from Rolly Romero. And on your point about David Fields, so Davis went over to the corner, turnbuckle, whatever, and celebrated, and celebrating with the fans. And he came down, and he's still amped up on the knockout. He came right back over at Rolly Romero to gesture at him and almost like he was going to come back at him. And it was David Fields that was still in referee mode that backed him away and got him away from him, which I thought was an excellent job after the fight, after your duties might have been over with. He was still heads up on, let's don't have any trouble uh, after this is over with. Again, I love the inside of Dan Rayfield. It's the fight. I want to say one thing about recap. That, Go ahead. Yep. Give me some feedback. I understand, uh, you know, 
in that moment, uh, Javante was very excited. This guy had talked shit to him for the last couple of months, going back even before their fight in, uh, was postponed when it was supposed to happen in December. This is, you know, this goes back, the, the constant talking from Romero goes back probably into like, like October of last year. Mm-hmm. And then the fight was rescheduled. So he's been hearing this. So I get like in the, in the, in the half a minute after the fight, you're really, you know, jacked up about it. And you want to get in the guy's face and say, I told you so, and rub his nose in a little bit now too. So I, I, I can understand that, you know, the emotion is that people have to understand the emotional toll that these fights take on these guys. I will give Gervonta credit for this though. Once things calmed down a little bit, he went and did his interview with Showtime instead of being cocky, instead of, you know, I told you so. Instead of talking down to Roley Romero, he acted like a very mature fighter. He says, listen, I was going to be real cocky, but you know what? I give Roley Romero credit. He came to fight. Uh, it was all for the promotion. Uh, no hard feelings. And, uh, you know, I wish him good luck in the future. I mean, I thought that was classy the way that Gervonta Davis handled himself. And, you know, class and Davis have not always mixed in terms of mm-hmm. the terminology. But I feel like, you know, he... And look, I and I've written about this. You can go do a Google search. She's had chapter and verse of problems outside of the ring and, you know, problems where, he, you know, even related to boxing, where he didn't make weight, got stripped of titles twice, sure. et cetera, um, and had a lot of issues. We have uh, written on Big Fight Weekend. He's been arrested three times in the last three years for various assaults. But it, it's more than that. I mean, I mean it's, it's just it's problem. It's, after probably, problem. A, it's probably a dozen times in his life. I mean, it's this is not like a couple yeah. of times. The point is, though, he's 27 now. He's dealt with a lot of legal issues. And I feel like there is a new level of maturity. I hope that that's true and mm. that he keeps it up because he has, if he can keep that control of, him, of his life, we know he can fight. We know he can punch. He has a chance to like literally, as Leonard Ellerby from Mayweather Promotions has said on many occasions, he does have the chance to become, you know, a face of boxing, if not the face of boxing. You know, let's say in the post-Canelo terms, in terms of American boxing, you know, he frankly already may be it because of the fact that he is one of the biggest stars out there. I guess it's, you know, it's him, it's Errol Spence, people like that, you know, who draw good crowds and sell pay-per-views. Um, but he's got a chance to be in that upper echelon in ter- wherever you think he is in the division, rank him one, two, three, four, five, wherever you put him. Um, there's no doubt that he, in terms of the marketability and the attraction element of it and the ability to sell tickets and sell pay-per-view, He's, he's at the top of the heap. Listen, TJ, that was the 40th event that they've had at the Barclays Center for boxing since that great arena in Brooklyn opened in 2012. And uh, that was the largest attendance. They sold out clean, almost 19,000. And it did the largest live gate in terms of revenue for any boxing event that's ever been there. And they've had a lot of significant fights. I mean, they've had major unifications and whether it's, uh, you know, Keith Thurman and Sean Porter and Danny Garcia fights and, you know, and uh, Deontay and, uh, Wilder defending Deontay the WBC Wilder. title. There, he there, defended yeah. the title there several times at Barclays Center. You had Miguel Cotto has fought at Barclays Center. You had Bernard Hopkins fight at Barclays Center. You've had a lot of great fighters and, and A-level fights fight there over these years. I've been to most of the events there. If that was their 40th event, I've probably been there for about 34 of them or so. The point is, this is a kid in a fight against Roley Romero, who, you know, no disrespect, was not the biggest name in the world. But they people wanted to see tank davis perform uh, against an opponent that had been you know saying all kinds of wacky stuff and they delivered a great knockout and they and the crowd uh, got what they came for love the insight of dan rayfield i want to move on to eras landy lara's win as dan is with me here on the fight freaks unite a podcast so two quick questions one all the talk was that 
And out of his own mouth, Javante Davis said, this is going to be my last fight with Mayweather Promotions. He said that himself to multiple media people for whatever it's worth. He then said after the fight last night, I don't know. I, we're still talking. I'm not going anywhere. Leonard Ellerby assured everybody he's going to stick around. So one, do you believe he sticks around, around with Mayweather Promotions? And two, does that help or hinder the name Ryan Garcia or the top rank slash uh, Lou DiBella situation with George Cambosis, with Devin Haney? Is that a roadblock for Davis getting any of those fights? Two-pronged question, go. I do suspect that he'll stay with uh, Mayweather Promotions. Look, they've He's, he's been very good for them, and they've done a good job with him, obviously. I don't, you know, we don't know necessarily what's going on behind the scenes, but I've always been uh, of the mindset, not just in boxing, but just in my life in general, you know, don't fix what's not what's not broken. And, uh, and his they're doing... His complaint out of his own mouth, if I can interject, is the sure. opponents haven't been good enough. And But by well, the same token, I mean, give me some insight on that. No, I mean, at the end of the day, the fighter has to be the one if there's an opponent that they really want, if there's something that they really want to do, you just have to tell your people, go make the fight. Now, you have to understand that there's business uh, issues there also. But I, I'll go to the Canelo Alvarez point. You know, he purposely set his own career up to be a free agent after every couple of fights so he could do whatever he wanted to do. But that doesn't mean that he can't just say to his people also, I want you to make this fight. So if there's an opponent out there that Tank Davis really wants to fight uh, against or, or something that he really wants to do, the onus is on him and his team to go to his handlers that made with the promotions like adults, not in the media, not shouting and screaming and cursing, but like professionals and explain to them, this is the route that they want to take. And in the, you know, and if he is truly out of contract and it's a matter of, am I going to resign or not? You can say, this is part of our negotiation. I want this certain uh, control over what I'm going to do, etc. But, but I do think that he'll stick with them. Um, I certainly don't see him leaving Al Heyman. That is not happening. And and by extension, that is Mayweather promotions. Let's say he does leave Mayweather promotions, but he's going to stay with Al. Okay. So TGB promotions puts on the event. Well, guess what? They were the co-promoter of the event last night. They all work together anyway. So I think he's going to stay there. Now, your other question was, does it help or hinder making of a Ryan Garcia fight? Ryan, of course, was ringside. He wants that fight. He said it many times. He's been saying it for, you know, freaking two years, probably. Um, no, it doesn't help. It hinders it, obviously, because Mayweather Promotions, PBC, and Golden Boy, uh, they don't really do a lot of business with each other. And to be honest with you, the PBC side of the street, they're not bad guys, but they, they're they the one outfit that usually doesn't play nice with everybody else. Top Rank and Golden Boy make fights together. Golden Boy and DAZN, I mean, and Matchroom make fights together. You know, even Top Rank and, and, and Matchroom have made fights together. They have made some big fights. They've got one coming up that they've made. So they all work with each other. Obviously, Golden Boy and DAZN have made fights together since they're both uh, Golden Boy and Matchroom are both on DAZN. So the four big entities in, in boxing, at least in this country, are Matchroom, Golden Boy, uh, PBC, and Top Rank. And, and three of them have done fights together regularly, uh, even if it's difficult. And PBC, not so much. Occasionally. If it's the perfect so circumstance. So is the onus maybe, can I interject, on Ryan yeah. Garcia to say to Oscar De La Hoya, listen, this is a massive fight for us. I believe I can win it. And even if we have to swallow the 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 bit here or swallow the pill to go fight on Showtime, to go fight on a pay-per-view under the PBC umbrella, I will win the fight. And then we'll be in great shape to negotiate. Isn't part of that onus on him? Because it's never going to happen with a joint broadcast. They're not going to allow that to happen. What do you think? Real quick. First of all, I never say never. Okay. okay. Remember, I came up when I first started writing about boxing. 
as a you know full-time boxing reporter for USA Today in early 2000, the big fight of the time that nobody thought was going to happen, that was just impossible to make, that, you know, it was the Lennox Lewis-Mike Tyson heavyweight title fight. And, and, and my, my dear departed friend Jay Larkin, the longtime boss of Showtime Boxing, had the classic quote that appeared in the New York Times when, uh, when they were writing about the prospect of that fight. And, uh, and Jay, of course, was Jewish. And Jay's great famous quote was, that fight will happen when pork chops grow on the palm trees in Tel Aviv. Okay. <laughs> That's a great And line. guess what? The fight happened. It was the pork not chops easy. grew on the on the on the palm trees. Yes. I mean, I never personally saw evidence of the pork chops growing on the palm trees of Tel Aviv. <laughs> and, and years later, Jay and I joked around about that quote, as he did with many people in the media. Uh, but he was making the point about the complicated nature of that fight, uh, because Mike Tyson was under contract to Showtime and Lennox Lewis was under contract to HBO. And it was much, much more uh, right. complicated to make those fights because of the you know, there was no Twitter back then. There was no Instagram back then. There was no Facebook. The The video clips of knockouts and of endings of fights and all that, everything was embargoed. They showed it on delay one week later. So there was no real immediate access. Remember, you'd watch Sports Center, you'd see a yep, magazine, yep, yep. Uh, you know, or you'd, you'd watch on the news. All you had was the still photos. Uh, they've loosened up those rules now. So it's not as big of a deal in terms of embargoing. But the point was HBO and Showtime, they valued their exclusivity of those rights so profoundly that it prevented those fights from happening. Ultimately it happened because Showtime needed to make the fight because Tyson uh, was costing them a fortune. And Lennox who had, you know, was the champion had a lot of juice with HBO and basically was like, look, I want the fight. And they really went to bat and they made it. But here's the point though, that fight happened. And I said, since then, if that fight can happen, sure. any fight can happen. And, and down the road, you know, uh, 15 years later, Manny Pacquiao and, and Floyd Mayweather fought each other in a fight that we all thought was impossible to get done. So no disrespect to Garcia and to Tank Davis. That fight is small potatoes compared to Pacquiao yes. against Floyd and, and uh, Lewis versus Tyson. Uh, so it can happen. So I would never say never. It's got to be there's got to be political will on both sides. You know, both sides would have to be willing to uh, to take some suffering, let's say, to make the fight. But it's again, it's up to the athletes to go tell their people. I want this fight. So if in private, let's say Tank Davis and, and Ryan Garcia, you know, got on the phone together or, you know, met for coffee or, you know, text message each other, you know, they can they can work with each other to try to get that done. Um, I still don't think it's happening next. Uh, certainly. I mean, Ryan's going to fight in July. He says he wants to do it in December. You know, again, I'd never say never, but I'd be extremely doubtful that that happens. I mean, all right. You know, what's next for Davis and does it continue kind of the animus the back and forth on i'm not getting enough good op opponents here on this uh current relationship with uh floyd mayweather and the money team we'll see what happens with that dan's in the camp that it probably isn't ryan garcia we're not going to hold our breath uh on that even though garcia was there and leonard ellerby flat out said in the press conference late night saturday night early sunday morning we tried to make that fight twice and it has not happened and so that will tell you the the animosity between Heyman, PBC, and De La Hoya, whatever it is, not wanting a split broadcast on DAZN, which they've held firm to, whatever's in the way is still in the way uh, for right now. So uh, let's see on that. All right, so quickly, Erez Landy Laura did win in the uh, co-feature, the middleweight battle with Spike O'Sullivan. We both expected that. Went a little longer than I think most thought. It went over the, the over-under. By the way, you were money with the, the Davis knockout and the under, the under six and a half rounds. For our Bet US show that we're going to be doing this Friday, Dan, two for two on that one. You were one for two with the the Laura knockout, but it did go beyond the seven and a half. 
on the over-under. It went into the ninth round. What are your the thoughts? Eighth round. Eighth the, round. Uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, the eighth round. All right, so what are your thoughts uh, in the aftermath of, uh, of that battle uh, that, that we figured Lara, Lara would win? He won against the veteran O'Sullivan. He was the better fighter. It took him a little while, but he got him out of there. What are your thoughts? First of all, Arislani Lara at least made it, made it uh, from his point of view. He was aggressive. He went after the guy. Uh, you know, my criticism of Arislandi Lara has never been about his talent level. It's always been about when you have an overmatched guy, you let him hang around, let him hang around, let him hang around and don't go after him. And you make a very boring fight. Uh, in this particular case, he had a guy that was overmatched. Plus, he's 39 years old. I don't think his legs are what they once were. And so he's forced to sort of fight a little bit more in the pocket than he once did. Um, but then again, maybe it had to do with the fact that he was fighting Gary Spike O'Sullivan, who was a massively inferior opponent. Uh, as I wrote in, uh, in or said, he may be 39 years old, Arislani Lara. If he continues to fight such low-level, inferior opposition like the Spike O'Sullivan's of the world, all you got to do is look back at the last several opponents of his, of his, on his resume. He's fought absolutely nobody for a while, so he's been winning. But he, if he continue to fight those level of like literally D-grade opponents, he could probably fight till he's 50 and keep winning, racking up those kind of wins. He's had some, you know, he's fought some quality guys over the years, but in the last four fights, Spike O'Sullivan had nothing for him. It was complete one-sided ass-kicking. Thomas Lamana should never have been in the title fight either when he won the uh, second-tier title by first-round knockout. Before that, Greg Vendetti, a guy you never heard of before and you never heard of since, who he ran roughshod over in a one-sided decision. And before that, he fought uh, Ramon Alvarez, who was Canelo Alvarez's brother, not Canelo Alvarez. And he absolutely destroyed <laughs> him in two rounds. Alvarez, right. Yeah. Yes. So my point is, since the draw he had with Brian Castaño in 2019, Arislandi Lara has fought four... Uh, you know, very, very poor opponents. Um, you know, I don't blame him. He's making money. He's fighting like basically once a year. He's doing his thing and uh, and all that. But, you know, it's a happy medium. It's like on the one hand, he looked good against Spike O'Sullivan and did what he had to do and at least scored a good knockout, scored a knockdown, et cetera. But on the other hand, it was Spike O'Sullivan who has always uh, uh, underperformed when he fought a top level guy, always been, you know, either knocked out in all of his losses, except for the one time when he fought Billy Joe Saunders, who happened to go the route and win a shutout decision. So, you know, it was a horrible mismatch on paper. It was a horrible mismatch in uh, in reality. It should never have happened. The WBA should be absolutely ashamed of themselves for sanctioning Spike O'Sullivan to be in that kind of title fight, secondary or otherwise. That was a joke. Um, but at the very least, Aristotle Lara, you know, he, he did what he was supposed to do. He didn't let him hang around. He scored a knockout. So I give it up to Lara. He took the guy out like he was supposed to. That's always my thing. You are in with a guy you're over that's overmatched. You got to take him out of there. Don't let him hang around. And he didn't let Spike O'Sullivan hang around. He busted him up, bloodied his face, and knocked him out. All right. I'm going back and fact-checking here on all of this. You're golden because, again, the stoppage in the eighth round is before the halfway point. So on the Bet US show, when you said under 7.5, that counts brother there you go. so you ended up being four for four on the bet us show again through bet us tv their youtube channel friday's one eastern live that's where we are giving betting advice dan rayfield four for four both the fighters got knockouts both of them under on the six and a half rounds for javante davis and the seven and a half for Ares landy laura excellent job and i had the uh the knockout for laura and i had the under for davis so we ended up being six for six combined on that do i get a do i get a bonus from our bet i don't know we got to check i mean we were talking about hot dogs we're talking about pork chops on the palm trees we were talking about barbecue at the beginning maybe we get i don't know maybe we get uh 
uh, some barbecue ribs. I don't, I don't know what we get for for doing that, but we did well. Uh, they our, our our advice is worth every penny they're paying for it, but it was good advice on the BetUS show. If you were with us last week, we encourage you to be there this week on YouTube, on BetUS TV this Friday. There's a plug. One more for Laura, and then we got to get out of here on Fight Freaks Unite. What would theoretically be next? He's not going to get to fight Gennady Golovkin, who has two of the middleweight belts. He's tied up fighting Canelo Alvarez later this year. Jamal Charlo has the WBC belt. He's fighting later in June against uh, Sulaki, the uh, the Polish contender. Could it maybe be Charlo that he fights later in like November, December? Or is Lara content now and, and going to have to resign himself to the fact it's going to be a lesser non-title fight in his next fight? What is your thought real quick? That's a really good question. Number one, Lara hasn't really made a habit of fighting more than once a year since 2019. A part of that was pandemic related, but he only fought once in 2020, once in 2021. So, and it, and it was one year ago, it was May of 2021 when he had the most recent fight until Saturday. So it was one year almost to the day. So I'm not necessarily convinced he even does fight again the rest of this year. And so who knows? I mean, maybe he goes another year and just does one fight in 2022. If he does fight again this year, I'd love to see him fight Charlo. That's going back up against a top-notch guy. It's not like Lara's not fought top guys before. I mean, he had the fight of the year against Jared Hurd in a junior middleweight uh, unification. That was a terrific – I mean, he lost a very close uh, razor, close based on just the knockdown that occurred in the end of the fight. But, uh, you know, he has not um, – it's not like he's afraid to fight good guys. He's fought a few of them over the course of time. Uh, it just, uh, for whatever reason, the last four fights have been complete nobody opponents. Um, but, I mean, him and Charlo – that's a that's easily a big time Showtime main event. Um, I think there would definitely be fan interest in that because it would be Charlo, who has been criticized for his opponent selection as a middleweight, same as uh, as uh, Lara uh, in his recent opponent selection, be it at middleweight and junior middleweight. And they're two good names. They're both excellent fighters. I'd love to see that fight. I mean, there's not a lot of Aristani Lara fights I'd bang the door down to see, but you know what? Bring me the Charlo fight. I'd be very happy with that. I mean, that would be great if it could happen. All right, we got to get out of here. Anything else in closing on the Fight Freaks Unite recap before we're done? Again, we got a big week. Cambosis Haney coming up. Uh, we also have uh, Stefan Fulton in action for the, the Super Bantamweight Championship title fight, unification fight that he's got with Danny Roman in Minnesota, the PBC title fight this weekend. Anything else in the recap mode off the weekend before we are good? Well, Stephen Fulton is not, he's already the unified champion, so he's defending those unified titles against an opponent in Roman. Who, is a, who used to be the unified champion. So that's a good first-class type of fight. Uh, I'm interested to see David Morrell, the super middleweight, on the undercard. Um, I'm looking forward to obviously seeing the Australia fight with uh, Devin Haney and George Cambosis for the undisputed championship at lightweight. And even, uh, you know, on the, on the maybe not as uh, uh, popular or well-known of a fight, uh, but the matchroom event that's on Saturday, uh, Kenichi Ogawa is going to defend his 130-pound title for the first time. He looked really good winning it last fall. And he's taking on Joe Cordina, who's been hyped up in the UK for a while. So that's a nice looking fight. So, you know, we just move on from a big weekend to big weekend to big weekend. And uh, we talk about it here on the podcast. We do it on the big fight weekend. And I'm excited. We are excited about all of this. Again, everybody be safe for Memorial Day, observance of the holiday, etc. cetera. Uh, again, we come off the weekend with the recap podcast, Fight Freaks Unite. That is Dan Substack. Find him there. He's also writing with us on Big Fight Weekend's uh, website, bigfightweekend.com. We'll have a preview podcast on this podcast feed that you're on right now. Follow or subscribe. We'll preview the weekend coming up. Cambosis Haney 
Fulton Roman, all those fights this weekend will be previewed. That'll be out about Friday morning, Friday midday. Good shelf life for the weekend in the preview mode. I think we're good uh, off of this. You're good. As everything rolls this weekend, Dan, enjoy the rest of Memorial Day, and we'll check you later on in the week on the preview show, all right? You too, my man. Talk to you soon. There you go. There's Dan Rayfield. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Again, Fight Freaks Unite is the recap podcast. Big Fight Weekend preview coming later on this podcast feed right here. Make sure you're following or subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're good for now with the fights in the books. It'll be June when we talk again for the Big Fight Weekend preview. Bye.